Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Don Ma in for Stepnia. Here are today's top stories. Twitter is abuzz with news that Elon Musk is about to drop the next installment of the Twitter files. This time, the focus is on Dr. Anthony Fauci. What has Musk been saying and how has Fauci responded? Congress gears up to vote for House Speaker and leader Kevin McCarthy proposes key rule changes to win support. We'll tell you what those are and why some Republicans still aren't convinced. The latest update on the University of Idaho killings. The recently arrested suspect could return to Idaho as soon as this week to face murder charges. New Year's Eve plans in Northern California disrupted by a flood. We have more on the downpour the state faced over the weekend. New laws in California and New York are raising eyebrows for some, from criminal prosecution to information about COVID. Many key issues are involved. Twitter owner Elon Musk on Sunday teased the release of what's been dubbed the Fauci Files, coming later this week. NTD's Arlene Richards has more. After recent tweets critical of Dr. Anthony Fauci, new Twitter owner Elon Musk is now hinting he will soon release what's been dubbed the Fauci Files. On Sunday, Juanita Broderick, who accused former President Bill Clinton of sexual misconduct, tweeted, waiting for Fauci Files. Musk responded, later this week. Fauci stepped down as White House chief medical advisor at the end of 2022. In a tweet last week, Musk said Twitter employees had an internal channel dedicated to Fauci. Musk said, despite these glaring issues, Twitter nonetheless had an internal Slack channel, unironically called Fauci Fan Club. Musk had criticized Fauci's push for gain-of-function research, saying it's just another way of saying bioweapon. Cash Patel, host of Cash's Corner and a former government official under the Trump administration, defined gain-of-function research. But it's just fancy for uh, putting money into biological programs that sort of basically create viruses and then look for their vaccinations. In the Twitter thread, Musk shared a Newsweek article from September 2021 that carried the headline, Fauci was untruthful to Congress about Wuhan lab research, new documents appear to show. Fauci has insisted that government funding wasn't used for gain-of-function research. Well, it is not. And if you look at the grant and you look at the uh, progress reports, it is not gain-of-function, despite the fact that people tweet that. Last month, in an interview with scientific journal Nature, Fauci said Musk's remarks stir a lot of hate in people. He's also concerned about his safety. He said he had armed federal agents with me all the time. Arlene Richards, NTD News. According to the CDC's COVID-19 vaccine safety system called VSAFE, nearly 8% of participants reported needing medical care during the monitored period. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on that. It took two lawsuits and over a year before the CDC agreed to release data from its vSafe program. The vSafe system was designed to assess the safety of the COVID-19 vaccine. It has over 10 million individuals that use the system who do periodic health check-ins. Attorney Aaron Seary says vSafe is superior to VERS because it's able to calculate a rate for adverse events. If 200,000 people report to vSafe that they have myocarditis and there are 10 million people, you can figure out a 2% rate of myocarditis. 
VSAFE also has a much higher participation rate than a clinical trial. The clinical trial for Pfizer had 30,000 participants compared to VSAFE's 10 million. Moreover, Siri points out that the data from VSAFE has not been filtered through any pharmaceutical company. And just like a clinical trial, VSAFE relies on asking participants to provide information about their experience after the shot. VSAFE gathers data from two categories, symptoms and health impact. Users can report symptoms in a check-the-box manner, things like fever, chills, pain, but some symptoms are missing. Pericarditis, myocarditis, transverse myelitis. So why the omission? One could theorize that the CDC didn't know that the vaccine could cause these issues when it rolled out VSAFE in December 2020. But that's not the case. In October 2020, the CDC gave a presentation where it lists adverse events of special interest. That list included pericarditis, myocarditis, transverse myelitis, and seizures. But the CDC did not include these items which it knew were of special interest. The second VSAFE category is health impact. Users reported data every week for the first six weeks and then at week 12, 24, and 52. The check-the-box options included being unable to work or unable to do normal daily activities and whether health care was required. Siri sees one of VSAFE's biggest faults here. You would imagine they would have set a threshold above which they would have said, okay, we got to pull the plug on the shot. Whether that be 1 in 500 or 1 in 100 needing medical attention, about 800,000 people out of around 10 million people in VSAFE required medical care. 7.7%, that is 1 in 13 people. Yet the CDC did not pull the shot. 25% of those people needed emergency room care or uh, were hospitalized and another 48% sought urgent care. Siri says that the CDC previously only published information about the medical care rate in the first week after vaccination, which was around 0.3%. Meanwhile, the backlog of claims by people who alleged they've been injured from the COVID-19 vaccine rose from 2,300 a year ago to now more than 7,500. The CDC maintains that COVID-19 vaccines are safe and effective. The vSafe data was collected for up to a year after vaccination. The reported health issues may or may not have been the result of the COVID vaccination. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. A historic moment soon to unfold in Congress. An intense vote for House Speaker set for tomorrow. Some members challenging the status quo could draw the vote out for days. That would make it the first time in a century that a vote for Speaker would go to multiple ballots. Here's NTD's Melina Weisskopf to break it down for us. So right now there is just one member publicly saying he will challenge McCarthy tomorrow. That's Representative Andy Biggs from Arizona. Now Biggs already lost that internal nomination vote within the Republican Party a couple of weeks ago, but it is important to put that vote into context. Big ones or Biggs won about 30 votes, which means there were 30 Republicans who voted against McCarthy already. And now Biggs says he's up for the challenge yet again. Here's why. We would restore rules that were in place for literally over 100 years before Nancy Pelosi came in and shrunk them. We would take away, we devolve and divest power away from the center. And by opening that up, we'd create good process and good process will make good policy. 
Now, some members have indicated they will vote for Biggs tomorrow, and McCarthy, he can only afford to lose just four votes because of that slim margin in the House. Now, there has been uh, for a while now a group of five Republicans who have been so-called hard no votes. They will not vote for McCarthy tomorrow, um, but the latest pushback against McCarthy is depicted here in a letter uh, from nine House Republicans. Representative Scott Perry posted that letter on Twitter, writing, time to make the change or get out of the way. In that letter, they pretty much uh, thanked McCarthy for his efforts uh, for proposing those rule changes, but they said it's too late. And in an essence, in essence, they were criticizing these new proposed rule changes. Uh, one of the most notable being the motion to vacate. So McCarthy uh, conceded in a way here with allowing the motion to vacate to be reinstated, and it would allow uh, just five members to call a vote to replace the speaker. But this group of nine Republicans and other members in the House Freedom Caucus say this just isn't enough. And another interesting rules change would allow members to target and reduce the salaries of federal employees. But of course, all of these rules will only be laid on the table for members to vote on after they elect the speaker, that being the first step. And as for how long that will take, it's still unclear with the challenge that's playing out right now. It could take days for us to know the results. The longest vote in history was back in the 1850s, and that lasted about two months. And as Republicans are set to take over the House tomorrow, the incoming House Majority Leader revealed over 10 legislative proposals that he'll bring up for consideration. Here's an overview of some of them. In a letter to his GOP colleagues, incoming House Majority Leader Steve Scalise of Louisiana listed eight bills and three resolutions that he will be scheduling for Republicans to take up in their first two weeks of work after the 118th Congress begins at noon on Tuesday. He says voters have made their desire for change clear in the midterms. Scalise noted frustration with soaring inflation, the rise in violent crime, and the crisis of illegal immigration. The first bill, dubbed the Family and Small Business Taxpayer Protection Act, aims to revoke some of the additional IRS funding for 87,000 new agents, which Democrats passed as part of their Inflation Reduction Act. Getting tougher on China is another immediate action item for the House GOP with a resolution that seeks to establish a bipartisan committee on the competition between the U.S. and China. Numerous Democrats have reportedly shown interest in joining the committee. In terms of domestic crime, Scalise put forward the Prosecutors Need to Prosecute Act, which would allow the public to see how many cases prosecutors are declining to prosecute, along with the number of criminals released onto the street and the number of offenses committed by career criminals. On border security, Scalise put forward a bill called the Border Safety and Security Act, which would give the Department of Homeland Security, DHS, the power to turn away people crossing the border illegally in order to gain operational control of the border. Scalise is also proposing three abortion-related measures, two bills and a resolution. Among other things, they would prohibit federal funding for abortions, condemn attacks on pro-life facilities, and ensure that infants born alive after a failed abortion would receive the same legal protection in health care as a newborn. In addition to the ready-to-go bills, Scalise said House Republicans would also develop oversight plans to bring, quote, much-needed accountability to the Biden administration. Meanwhile, President Biden joined Republican officials today to tout bipartisanship. NTD's Iris Tao has more. 
And coming back to a changed Washington, President Biden will open the new year with a bipartisanship blitz. And Biden's traveling to Kentucky on Wednesday to tout infrastructure investment. There, he'll make a rare joint appearance with Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell, as well as the state's Republican governor. The Wednesday stop will come just a day after Republicans take power in the House, and it will be just a start. Biden's expected to make stops around the country over the coming weeks, touting what he calls bipartisan achievements. Meanwhile, Too often we see each other as enemies, not as neighbors as Democrats and Republicans, not as fellow Americans. At the end of last year, Biden appealed for less partisanship. And last week, he sounded optimistic about the coming year. Looming over Biden's efforts to show bipartisanship is his decision on whether to announce a 2024 bid. He said he would consult with family members over the holidays, but didn't give a solid answer when asked on Friday. Will you talk to your family about running for re-election, sir? There's an election coming up? Yeah. I didn't know that. Biden will turn 81 at the end of this year and be 82 when the next presidential election comes around. Reporting by Iris Tao, NTD News. And an update on the University of Idaho murders. The suspect accused of killing four students plans to waive his extradition at a hearing this week in his home state of Pennsylvania. That could expedite his return to Idaho. The suspect, 28-year-old Brian Koberger, is facing four counts of first-degree murder. His attorney emphasized that his client should be presumed innocent until proven otherwise. And his family says they've fully cooperated with law enforcement. Authorities haven't publicly confirmed a possible motive or if the suspect knew the victims. And police in Moscow, Idaho, still haven't found the murder weapon. Idaho state law limits what information can be released until the suspect makes his first appearance in Idaho court. When that happens, the probable cause affidavit, which details the facts leading to his charges, will be unsealed, according to a county prosecutor. And over to the West Coast, California had a wet start to the new year. Parts of the state were flooded over the weekend. Heavy rain caused power outages, road closures, and at least two rivers to spill over. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more. A powerful weather system called an atmospheric river brought heavy rain to parts of Northern California on New Year's Eve. Atmospheric rivers are columns in the atmosphere that can carry moisture thousands of miles. Heavy flooding partially submerged cars in San Francisco on Saturday. The storm caused two levees to break down near Sacramento, flooding roads and fields. Spillover from the Cosumnes River forced the closure of Highway 99 south of Elk Grove. Highway 101 was temporarily closed in both directions in South San Francisco Saturday. Highway 50 and Interstate 80 also had to be partially shut down temporarily. Officials reported at least two storm-related deaths. One person was found inside a completely submerged vehicle in southern Sacramento County and another struck by a fallen tree at a state park in Santa Cruz. The storm forced some residents out of their homes on New Year's Eve after evacuation orders were issued. Others had to be rescued from their cars. Around 235,000 homes and businesses were without electricity in California and Nevada on Sunday. On the other side of the coin, the moisture could bring some relief for drought-stricken areas. 2022 started out with California's driest beginning to the year on record. It's still not clear how much of a dent the storm will make on drought conditions. Over 15 million people from the West Coast to Wisconsin were under winter weather alerts Sunday. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. 
A new year often brings new laws, some more controversial than others. Laws that took effect in California and New York on New Year's Day are raising some eyebrows. A few controversial laws took effect in California on New Year's Day. One of them is Senate Bill 107 on so-called gender-affirming health care. Some say it makes California a sanctuary state for kids who think they're transgender. This law protects the use of drugs and surgery for cross-sex procedures provided to teens from states where such measures are not allowed. The law also prohibits doctors from releasing information about such treatment to other states. Another one is the so-called COVID misinformation bill. If a doctor shares mis- or disinformation about COVID-19, it now counts as unprofessional conduct. This could end up getting a physician's state license suspended or revoked. The bill describes misinformation as false information that is contradicted by contemporary scientific consensus, contrary to the standard of care. California is also expanding access to abortions. Under Senate Bill 1375, certain nurses can now perform abortions in the first trimester of pregnancy without the supervision of a doctor. Prostitution remains a crime in California in 2023. However, loitering for prostitution has been decriminalized under Senate Bill 357. Offenders convicted of such crimes can petition courts for the dismissal and sealing of their cases. The law was reportedly put in place to remove the social stigma around so-called sex work. Another offense that's been decriminalized in the Golden State is jaywalking. Assembly Bill 2147, the Freedom to Walk Act, says that fining people for jaywalking is racist because it's enforced unevenly in minority communities where people are more likely not to be able to pay the fine. And in New York, a law that also took effect on New Year's Day is making headlines. Kids under the age of 12 will no longer be arrested or prosecuted for pretty much all crimes other than homicides. This is leading some to think that adults might abuse children by using them in criminal activities. One Twitter user wrote, All fun and games until gangs recruit kids to be their enforcers, and 12-year-olds are committing armed robberies with guns. New York offenders under the age of 12 will now be directed to local social services departments instead. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. And Illinois had planned to eliminate cash bail starting January 1st. However, the state's Supreme Court halted that ruling on Saturday as it prepared to hear arguments on the matter. A local judge ruled last week that eliminating cash bail for criminal defendants is unconstitutional. He said the General Assembly violated the Constitution's separation of powers clause when it passed a law that eliminated cash bail. The judge said the issue of bail should be left to the judiciary. The state's Democrat governor said he's confident the act will be found constitutional by Illinois Supreme Court. Coming up, college football. The semifinals were two of the closest playoff games ever. But did people tune in on New Year's Eve? Entity's Dave Martin takes a look. That and more coming up. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Don. The thrilling college football playoff Saturday drew the largest TV ratings in their nine-year history aside from New Year's Day games. ESPN, which aired the games, said the dramatic wins by Georgia and TCU drew an average of 21.7 million viewers. Meanwhile, the combined margin of victory of seven points was the lowest ever for the playoffs as both New Year's Eve games came down to the wire. 
Michigan was down six with the ball in the final minute, but was unable to score, while Ohio State missed a game-winning field goal as time ran out just as the clock struck midnight on the East Coast. Georgia and TCU are now set to square off on January 9 for the national title. And in college basketball news, Purdue retained their number one ranking in the AP poll for the fourth straight week. The Boilermakers are now one of just two remaining undefeated teams in Division I and garnered 60 of the 61 possible first place votes. Now behind them, the top five was shaken up by UConn's loss that dropped them from second to fourth. Houston and Kansas meanwhile moved up to second and third respectively, while Arizona rounded out the top five. Meanwhile, losses by Kentucky and North Carolina moved both of the perennial powerhouse schools out of the rankings. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, plenty of options around, as the NBA has 11 games on tap featuring the Brooklyn Nets, who've now won 11 straight games hosting the Spurs. And in hockey, the NHL has a pair of games tonight, including the defending Stanley Cup champion Colorado Avalanche taking on the Vegas Golden Knights. And in college football, after a triple header this afternoon, the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl, with Penn State battling Utah, is currently in progress. And finally, for you NFL fans, the Cincinnati Bengals host the Buffalo Bills on Monday Night Football. And that's all for your sports news. Back to you, Don. And finally, as tens of thousands leave Hong Kong for new lives abroad, many are craving a childhood favorite drink that's become a symbol of the city's culture. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the nostalgic beverage. The tea is called Sasan Tang. The beverage is sweet and heavy with evaporated milk. Now workshops are popping up to teach professionals to brew the beverage. Milk tea is very important to the Hong Kong people because since we were small, we went to Cha Chan Tong with our parents to drink milk tea and have breakfast, eating macaroni and toast. It's our custom to drink a cup of milk tea every morning with bread or egg tart. Eric Tam is a 41-year-old manager at an insurance company. He now lives in the UK. Tea is a big part of the culture in England, but he says the taste isn't the same. I lived in Hong Kong for decades. It would be wrong for me to say I don't miss Hong Kong. I can't fully merge into the British local culture so soon. I always think about Hong Kong. Milk tea definitely helps me reminisce about a part of Hong Kong's taste. Tam moved to Liverpool with his family in June. But before Tam left, he signed up for lessons at the Institution of Hong Kong Milk Tea. He says that milk tea is a form of silent resistance. To a certain extent, it's keeping our identity as Hong Kongers. When we can keep this food culture and our preference for milk tea overseas, it's like being in a part of Hong Kong. Hong Kong's protest movement has even called itself part of a milk tea alliance. Following a law that silenced or jailed most political opposition, over 130,000 residents have secured a special visa. The document allows them to live and work in the UK and apply for British citizenship after six years. The UK called China's 2020 national security law a clear breach of the 1984 Sino-British Joint Declaration. The declaration included a promise to retain the former British colony's rights and freedoms for 50 years from 1997. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. 
And that's all for today's news. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Don Ma. Good night.